Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, if you brought a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel 47. Uh, if I've not had a chance to meet you, my name is Aaron. I lead pastor for Riverwood. And in case you hadn't caught on yet, today is Vision Sunday. Uh, it's the week of the year that we typically release our annual report. Uh, that will be available after the worship gathering. And you can take a look back upon 2023. What all took place? What did we see God do? Where did we fall short? And then today, through the sermon, we kind of look ahead. Who is God calling us to be? Like, what course corrections do we need to make? And, and uh, that such thing. That's the purpose of today. Now, I, I heard a few, uh, well, kind of months ago, that uh, the only people who really like Vision Sunday at church are pastors. Uh, and so, uh, I, by the way, I'm in the exchange club. And uh, once a month, we have a business meeting. Those are always our lowest attended, right? I, I think that's how some people think Vision Sunday is. It's like our business meeting. And, and so those tend to be your lowest attended Sundays. And, and so I, I get it. If, if you're hearing me say, oh, today's Vision Sunday, you may be thinking, ah, this isn't really for me. That's okay. Because I'm just going to let you know, it's for me. What you don't realize is that in leading a church, it's scary how easy it is to just fall to the day-to-day -day operations. Because there's always email that needs done, meetings to attend, meetings to get ready for, another Bible study to prepare, you know, this and that, as well as a sermon to prepare. And what ends up happening is you get so caught up in all the doing, you kind of forget why. Why are we doing this? And, and so if anything, we need Vision Sunday for me. Because if we don't, I'm probably not going to be the pastor that you need me to be. And so thank you for putting up with me while we have one Sunday just for me. But deep down, I, I know this is actually for you too. Because you see, who we are as a church and where we're trying to go, it's going to have an effect upon you. We long to see God work in you, that no matter where you're at in your spiritual walk with him, whether you're still investigating this whole Christianity thing, whether you're brand new at it, whether you've been following Jesus for a long time, we want to help you continue to grow. And so I think you probably need to know who are we and where are we going? What is our vision? What is our mission? Because it is going to affect you. Also, what you're going to catch on today is that while we talk about our vision, the, this big corporate thing, you're going to quickly realize that because the church is people, this vision is really about you. Yes, we have a vision for who we want to be as a church, but we can't be that unless you are part of it. And so it's not just this pie in the sky, big dream type of thing. No, this is a you thing. This is affects your Monday thing. And also, I, I think that your greatest joys in life, your greatest memories, will be in shared memories, in shared experiences. I mean, yes, you probably have some good memories, maybe when you were alone, you know, something that was just for you. But if you think back, your best moments were the ones where you shared it with others, where you were part of something that was bigger than just yourself. I think you getting to hear about the vision of Riverwood, hearing who we're wanting to be, what God is calling us to, it's a call and an invitation to come into that and get to be a part of it. 
Because that way then when we see God do something, it isn't just one pastor getting to celebrate it. It is us getting to celebrate it. So I readily confess, Vision Sunday's for me. But I know it's also for you. Now, at Riverwood, almost every Vision Sunday, we go to Ezekiel 47. Uh, the first 12 verses of that chapter are kind of our key passage. It's the passage from where we get our name. Uh, it's, it's where we've kind of come up with our little discipleship pathway of gather, grow, give, go. Uh, it, it's why we use language that we want to be a Jesus-centered church. There's a lot about this passage that has shaped who we are and what we're trying to do. And so by us going back Every year, almost every year, I think a couple of years we haven't gone to Ezekiel 47, but most years we go back to it. It's kind of like a pilot looking down at his or her instrument panel just to make sure we're heading the right direction. What's the wind speed? Are we at the right altitude? Do we have enough fuel? And, and, and do we need to make any course corrections just to make sure we're getting where we're going safely? That's kind of what today is. So we're going to look down at our instrument panel. We're going to look down at Ezekiel 47 and just kind of get a sense of, where are we right now so that we can become who God calls us to be in the near future? Now, most weeks, mo I mean most years, I take the time to actually read Ezekiel uh, 47, 1 through 12. But for the sake of time this year, I'm going to just simply summarize the first 11 verses. We're going to spend the bulk of our time in verse 12. But if my summary leaves you wanting... All you have to do is go on our website, go to last year's Vision Sunday, and you can hear the explanation, or probably the, Sunday the year before that, or the year before that, all right? I've talked about this passage a lot. So some of you are sitting there going, oh, I know exactly what Aaron's going to say. Well, even though I knew exactly what I was going to say, I still needed this reminder this week. So, chapter 47. When you, when you come to chapter 47, the prophet Ezekiel, who the book is named after, has been receiving a tour of a temple. Now, some scholars believe he was actually taken there physically. Some people think this is just happening in a vision. But it began all the way back in chapter 40. Now, I'm going to be honest. Chapter 40, all the way through 47, is pretty boring reading. All right? So, advice. If you're ever suffering insomnia, starting with Ezekiel 40, you'll be out by chapter 43. Okay? Because what happens is as you start in chapter 40, Ezekiel is taken to this high mountain. There's this temple on it, and he meets a man, a, a man who is described as having an appearance like bronze. Now, some people think that means he just had a really good tan. Others think it means it's an angel. And this angel, this bronze man, is holding in his hands a linen cord and a measuring reed, or some translations put measuring rod. And what begins in chapter 40 is this angel takes Ezekiel all around this temple and they're measuring things. Measuring the height of things, the depth, uh, you know, it just goes on and on and on and on. And Ezekiel's writing it all down. So when you get to chapter 47, you realize, like, I think they've gone over every square inch of this place. Surely this tour is about done. And right as the tour is ending... Rather than trying to find the exit sign or looking for the gift shop, Ezekiel notices water. But it isn't just water that's been like spilled by a glass. It isn't water falling, dripping through the ceiling or, you know, coming under doorways like we had happening in our building. This is water that's flowing. It, it, it's like a stream. It's coming right out from the temple. It goes right by the altar. It goes out the east side, flows down the hillside, and it crashes into the Dead Sea. 
And this dead sea that normally is so full of minerals, so full of salt that nothing can live in it, it's now suddenly teeming with life. There's all sorts of fish in the sea. Well, this angel takes that measuring rod and they walk outside the temple and he begins to measure out from the temple. And every so often as he measures out, he would have Ezekiel walk through. He walks through this river four times and each time it gets deeper until the fourth time he walks through, it's so deep he can't touch the bottom. Now, I believe that this passage of scripture, that the river points to Jesus. First of all, we see this river coming from the temple. The temple was the place of worship. It was considered the place of God's presence. Well, Jesus, I believe, came from heaven, the ultimate place of God's presence, the ultimate place of worship. We see this river go right by the altar. The altar is the place of sacrifice. Well, Jesus went through the cross, the ultimate place of sacrifice, dying for our sins. We then see this river go out the east side. In Ezekiel 43, we see God enter into this vision. He comes into the temple and meets Ezekiel there. Well, then in chapter 44, God announces that because he's used the east gate, no one else can use it. The east side is for God. It's so holy now. So anyone else who's coming in, they've got to use north, west, or south. East is for God. And yet this river goes out the east side because Jesus is God. And then we see this river flow into the Dead Sea. And just like this river brings life into these lifeless waters, Jesus crashes into our lives and makes us go from spiritual death, spiritual darkness, into spiritual life, spiritual light. He resurrects us spiritually. That's why I believe this river is Jesus. But then you notice that Ezekiel walks through this river four times. Each time it gets deeper. At Riverwood, we see that as kind of our, our pathway. We want you to not just step into the river of Jesus to find life in him, but we want to see you continue to go deeper. That at no matter what depth you are at, we are hoping that you will continue to give more of your life to him and that current pulls you deeper to the point that you're in over your head. And when you can't touch bottom in a river, the river is now in control. That's what we want for you. That your life is so given over to God, so fully surrendered, he can take you wherever he wants. To your job, to your neighborhood, into your home, into another city, wherever he wants to take you so that he can use you to go and be a blessing. But then after walking through this river these four times, in verse 7 we see Ezekiel coming back and he notices some trees. Well, in verse 12, the, the, pro, I mean, the, the angel tells the prophet what these trees mean. So let me read verse 12 for you. So if your Bible's still open, after all that, Ezekiel 47, join me at verse 12. And on the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month. Because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Many years ago, uh, there was a uh, sports writer uh, by the name of Rick Riley. Uh, Rick uh, was basically the, the goat of sports writers. He won National Sports Writer of the Year 11 times. Uh, he was most known for writing the, the ending column in Sports Illustrated for a number of years. Uh, then in early 2000s, he switched over to doing the same thing for ESPN Magazine when they were trying to get a magazine going before he finally retired, uh, I think it was about 10 years ago. Now, 
he wrote an article back in 1999. It was in the September 14th issue of Sports Illustrated. And this thing was not about sports, and yet it went viral. Now, if you're thinking through your math, you should know, wait, how does something from 1999 go viral? Because there was no Facebook. There was no Instagram, no Twitter. There wasn't even MySpace. Kids, we used to let things go viral by email. Yes, back in the day, we would forward to one another funny things, jokes, whatever, all right? Our email was not just church newsletters and Kohl's cash, all right? It was like people sending actually funny things to us. And I remember getting this article. And this week, I just happened to stumble upon it, and I was reading through it, and I was like, oh my goodness, I had totally forgotten this. This is hilarious. And so I thought it'd be fun for us to get to hear this article from September 14th, 1999, written by Rick Riley. Someday, you may be invited to fly in the back seat of one of your country's most powerful fighter jets. If you get this opportunity, let me urge you with the greatest sincerity, move to Guam. Change your name. Fake your death. Do whatever you have to do. Don't go. I know. The U.S. Navy invited me to try it. I was thrilled. I was pumped. I was toast. I should have known. I should have known when they told me that my pilot would be Chip Biff King of Fighter Squadron 213 of Naval Air Station Oceana in Virginia Beach. Whatever you're thinking a Top Gun named Chip Biff King looks like, triple it. He's about six foot, tan, ice blue eyes, wavy surfer hair, finger crippling handshake, the kind of man that wrestles alligators in his leisure time. If you see this man, run the other way, fast. Biff was to fly me in an F-14D Tomcat, a ridiculously powerful $60 million weapon with as much thrust as weight. I, I was worried about getting airsick. So the night before the flight, I asked Biff if there was something I should eat the next morning. Bananas, he said. For the potassium, I asked. No, Biff said, because they taste about the same coming up as they do going down. <laughs> next morning out on the tarmac, I had on my flight suit with my name sewn on the left breast. No, no call sign like crash or sticky or lead foot, but still very cool. I, I carried my helmet in the crook of my arm as Biff had instructed. A fighter pilot named Psycho gave me a safety briefing and then fastened me into my ejection seat, which, when employed, would egress me out of the plane at such velocity that I would be immediately knocked unconscious. So just as I was thinking about aborting the flight, the canopy closed over me. Biff gave the ground crew a thumbs up. In minutes, we were firing nose up at 600 miles per hour. We leveled out, and then canopy rolled over another F-14. Those 20 minutes were the rush of my life. Unfortunately, the ride lasted 80. It was like being on the roller coaster at Six Flags over hell only without rails. We did barrel rolls, sap rolls, loops, yanks, and banks. We dived and rose and dived again, sometimes with a vertical velocity of 10,000 feet per minute. We chased after another F-14, and it chased us. We broke the speed of sound. Sea was sky, and sky was sea. Flying at 200 feet, we did 90-degree turns at 550 miles per hour, creating a G-force of 6.5 
Which is to say, I felt as if 6.5 times my body weight was smashing against me. And I egressed the bananas. <laughs> I egressed the pizza from the night before. Uh, and the lunch before that. I, I even egressed a box of milk duds from the sixth grade. Because of the G's, I was egressing stuff that did not even want to be egressed. I, I went through not one airsick bag, but two. Biff said I passed out twice. I was coated in sweat. At one point, as we were coming in upside down on a banked curve on a mock bombing target, and the G's were flattening me like a tortilla, and I was in and out of consciousness, I realized I was the first person in history to throw down. I used to know cool. Cool was John Elway throwing a touchdown pass, or Greg Norman sinking a five-iron bite. But now, I really know cool. Cool is guys like Biff, men with cast-iron stomachs and freon nerves. I wouldn't go up there again for Derek Jeter's black book, but I'm glad Biff does every day, and for less money per year than a rookie reliever makes in a homestand. A week later, when the spins finally stopped, Biff called. He said he and the fighters had the perfect call sign for me. Said he'd send it on a patch for my flight suit. What is it? I asked. Two bags. <laughs> now, when I stumbled on that this past week, uh, I found it just as funny uh, in 2024 as I did in 1999. However, this time as I read through it, something else hit me. Because as your pastor, I, I know some of the stories of, of what's going on in some people's lives. I know for some of you, 2023 wasn't just a roller coaster. For some of you, 2023 felt like you were in an F-14 Tomcat. You've been barrel rolled and tossed and turned. You have emotionally and spiritually egressed. You found yourself hurting and lost and confused. You can't tell when the sky is sea and the sea is sky. What do you do when life just seems to throw you around carelessly? When suddenly God seems like some heartless, careless Biff? I think verse 12 tells us. And on the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month. Because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Just as I believe that the river in Ezekiel 47 points to Jesus, I believe that these trees, first mentioned in verse 7 and, and described in verse 12, point to Jesus' followers. I, I believe that there's actually two phrases here that show us what it means for us to, to follow Christ. That just as in the Lord of the Rings, there are these tree people, the ints, I, I think Ezekiel 47 is saying, if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to be tree people. What will it look like for Riverwood in 2024 to be tree people? What is it God is calling us to do? And not just for this year, but for every year. So the two phrases I want to draw out for you are, are towards the end. The first phrase I want to draw out begins with the word because. Because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. 
earlier in verse 12, we see that this, these trees that are growing there, it says that their leaves do not wither, nor their fruit fail. In fact, it goes on to say that these trees produce fruit every month. Now, if you stop and think about it, that is odd. I mean, we're, we're used to here in Iowa, our trees, I mean, the leaves wither. I mean, they turn different colors, and it's really kind of pretty every fall. But that's what they do. They fall. They die. We're used to our trees producing fruit, but they produce it either in like the spring or, or, or later in the summer or fall. They, they produce it once a year, not once per month. How can these trees remain so vibrant, so strong? Because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. You see, trees that are next to rivers are, are able to survive droughts. If you've got a, a tree just kind of out in the, the field all by itself, it's, it's vulnerable. But you put a tree next to a stream, next to a river, that even if they have no rain, as long as there's still water flowing, that tree's going to make it. It's going to do great. These trees in Ezekiel 47 are able to survive no matter what comes their way because they're constantly nourished by the river. If the river is Jesus, then if we are to be tree people, it means we are to get our roots into Christ. That's exactly what Colossians chapter 2 says. The Apostle Paul, when writing to the church in Colossae, says to be rooted and built up. Get your roots into Jesus. Get your roots into the gospel. Get your roots into him and let him be an anchor so that your faith will be firmly established. So that when your life starts getting tossed and turned and you feel like egressing something, you have this anchor to hold on to. Yes, I know for some of you, the health has been a problem, whether physical health or mental health. For some of you, it has been a difficult relationship. For some of you, it has been about your career. For some of you, it's about your children. For some of you, it's an addiction. So many of us are fighting things, and we are being tossed and turned all over the place. We are in the tomcat over six flags from hell. And we are being told to get your roots anchored into Christ. Because when you hold on to him, even if the health fails, he does not. Even if that relationship were to end, your relationship with him does not. Even if that addiction seems to be holding on, he holds on tighter. For us to be the church that God calls us to be, we have to continue to get our roots into him. I often find myself doing great with God when life's going awesome. And yet, as soon as some difficulty starts coming my way, I start getting a little ticked off with him. I've been good. I've been fine. I've been obedient. You called me to leave everything to go plant a church. Why are you letting this happen to me? And so rather than run to him, I run to Netflix. I run to my phone. I run to ice cream. We, we all try to find these escapes when problems come, when we fear, experience our spiritual drought. We go through these difficult things. And instead, he's calling us to him. 
I would say that the harder life is, the harder we need to fight for him, to get our roots into him so that we can hold on, so that no matter what that life F14 does to us, we're safe and secure. And we'll find we'll have Freon in our nerves. The first thing that we need to do as a church is just continue what we've been doing to put our roots into Christ and let him be our everything, to let the water from the sanctuary flow to us. The second phrase that I want to draw out today is the very last phrase of the verse. The last sentence says this, their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. Now, I, I realized this morning uh, we did not take as, as much time as normal to talk about the river. Um, but, so I, I realized it's probably a little unfair for me to ask you a question about the river, but I'm pretty sure you guys are going to be able to answer this. What does the river do for the trees? Anyone? Nourishes it. Yep. Great. What else? What? Gives them life. Yes. Awesome. Good. Got one? Yes, yes, very good, very good. All right, so it, it nourishes them, it helps them survive and thrive. I'd even take that a step further and say, like, these trees almost can be at rest. Like, they don't, they don't have to seem to worry about where they're going to receive their nourishment from. Because, well, the river's right here. We, we've got everything we need. Now, let, let's flip over to the trees for a second. Let's go to this phrase. What does fruit do? Fruit, what does fruit do? It's food, yes. And what, what is fruit, food supposed to do for us? Nutrition. Yes, it's nutrition. It's to nourish. How about the leaves? What does the phrase, the, the sentence say the leaves do? Heal. Right, the leaves are for healing. Imagine you're walking along in a really dry climate, and suddenly you see a grove of trees or around a, a pond. You head there. What do you do? You sit down in the shade because it's cooler it's peaceful. You hear the rustling of the leaves. It's like just for a moment, oh, you could be refreshed. Leaves are for healing. Now realize that what the tree is doing, providing this fruit for food, providing these leaves for healing, they're performing a very similar function as the river. Just as the river brings nourishment to the trees, these trees produce fruit for the nourishment of others. Now, and, and realize, trees do not eat their own fruit. Trees eat from the ground, from the river. Their, their fruit is for others. Same with the leaves. Just as this river helps these trees to kind of be at peace, like, okay, yeah, there's a drought going on, but hey, we've got plenty of water. We're going to be fine. Suddenly, you see that these leaves are for healing. People can find rest. They can find peace. They're going to realize I'm going to be fine. God is calling us as a church to love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. That we are to be like the river. We don't replace the river. The river is the one and only Christ. But we are called to go and perform a very similar function as him. The fruit that God wants to produce from us is to be a blessing to others. The leaves that he wants to grow through us is to be a comfort to others. 
For us to be the church that God calls us to be, we cannot just be a Sunday-centric church that comes together, hears a sermon, sings some songs, calls it good, and goes off about our life. It means a few of us are going to have to enmesh our lives with one another so that we're walking with each other because your fruit is going to help me. Your leaves are going to help me find some healing. Your fruit is going to help them. Your leaves are going to help them. That the more we allow our lives to intermesh, the healthier we will be. Last year, our theme was gospel growth. For our 21 days, we we prayed for God to grow his gospel, our understanding of it within us personally, within us corporately as a church, and that we'd then see it grow outward. So last year was a very outward focus. Too many churches get so inward focused that, that they ignore the hurting, dying world outside. So last year was a bit of a call to that. But the only way we're going to be able to accomplish that is if we are healthy. And right now, some of us are not. And it isn't your fault. Things have just happened. Things have come at you. You've been thrown into this tomcat, and you've been tossed and turned. And right now, you're confused. Sea is sky, and sky is sea. So for us to fulfill these things, for us to fulfill this verse 12, for us to be these tree people, it's going to require us to do two things. First, if you find yourself in a tomcat, your life has been turned upside down, you feel like egressing anything and everything, you got to let some people in. you got to open the cockpit, let someone sit down with you, and fly with you. You were not designed to fly this alone. Now, you may want to push back, because I realize you're Iowans, you're strong. And those of you who know your Bible would say, but Aaron, Galatians 6.5 says, to bear your own burden. You're exactly right. But three verses before that, it says, bear one another's burdens. In other words, if you can carry your own groceries, carry your own groceries. Don't be a king or queen demanding that everybody be your servant and they go do it for you. If you can carry your own burden, carry it. But if you can't carry your groceries or shouldn't carry your groceries, you've got to open up and let some other people come in and carry it with you. We're not going to survive, you guys, if we just be Iowans and hold on to these things and keep them to ourselves, we're going to have to find ways to open up. Now, this does not mean you open up to everybody. You don't walk up here on a Sunday and say, hey, I'm going to tell you all the stupid sin I did this last weekend so you can all hate me. No, it, it's going to the one person, the two people that you know love you, are for you, and you're safe with, and you confess, you open up. You say, this is what I'm facing right now. And you give it to them, and you let them carry your groceries with you. That's the first thing we're going to have to do. The second thing we're going to have to do. If you see someone else in a tomcat, you see someone else's life being thrown around, then let God use your fruit and your leaves. Go to them. Be there for them. Now, you're not going to be able to do this for everybody. I, as your pastor, want to do this for everybody. And I am bumping up against the limits of that. So I just want you guys to know that if you go to your growth group leader, if you go to one of the elders, if you go to Jake, if you just go to one another, I am not offended. I am not sitting here going, 
oh man, I wanted to be the one to help them. No, I want you healthy. I want you following Jesus. If I get to be a part of that, praise God. I'm honored to get to be in that role. But if you're with someone else and God's accomplishing that, praise God. I'm glad they got to share their fruit and their leaves with you. But if you see someone hurting, get in their cockpit, join them, carry this with them. Because this is what Jesus calls you to do. So if you're hurting, you're going to have to let some people in if you haven't. If you see someone else hurting, appropriately get in there. Now, it, it might just be listening. That might be all they need. It, it might be helping connect them to someone if, if that's what they, they want and need. It, it, it could be just be in the hands and feet of Jesus. It, it, it could be cleaning their house, making them a meal, driving them to an appointment. But can you just help carry their groceries for a little while? Because those small little things might be exactly the fruit that they need for some nourishment. It might be the leaves they need to just sit and rest and find a bit of restoration and healing. I'm going to protect you guys. Never going to share your story with others. But I'm just letting you know we are a small church and we have some hurting people. If you are hurting right now, I want you to know you're not alone. And I don't say that, that, oh, well, you know, us strong people are going to be there for you. No, I want you to know that what you're going through, it is very possible that someone else is going through it right here in this room in this church family. You are not alone. And sometimes as we go through our own hurts and pains, we end up learning some things and we discover how being rooted in Christ helps and God uses us to help someone else who's hurting. To help someone else does not mean you eliminate all your problems. It is us together saying, let's go after Jesus together. That's the church God is calling us to be. We've got to be the place that has doors open, that the hurting can come in and sit among our leaves but we also need to be the church that helps even provide that fruit and leaves for one another so that we are healthy, filled with joy, getting our roots into Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, it's one thing for me to preach this. It's another for us to live it. And I realize I could try to put together the absolute perfect words to say it, and yet we can just so easily get right back to our schedules and live however we want or how I have previously been living. Lord, for these sort of changes to, to happen, it takes the work of your Holy Spirit. So Lord, I, I pray right now for those who are hurting. I want you, Father, to just overwhelm them with your love. Would you help them to sense your love through the scriptures, uh, through your presence? But God, I also believe you want them to sense your love through your people. And, and so Lord, I pray that they would sense you're with them and that would happen through the hands and feet of others. God, I pray that you would help us just to be a people who would truly be there for one another. That we wouldn't just show up here on Sundays or we wouldn't just know a few names, but that we would actually get to know each other at deeper levels. That, that being a part of a church doesn't mean you're best friends with absolutely everyone, but would you help us to find those one, two, three people who you brought in to help carry our groceries? God, I want to see this church accomplish the mission that you've given us. 
You want, want us, Father, to help the spiritually disconnected to find and follow you. Some of us, though, in this room right now, even though we know these things mentally, some of us, we've, we've following you for a long time. Right now, we feel disconnected. And I believe you want to use this church body right here to help us once again find restoration in you. And so, God, I pray you'd help us just continue to fight to get our roots into Christ, that we would let your gospel nourish us, that we would find healing for our marriages, healing for our, 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 our worries and fears, healings for our addictions, healings from our past as we would find this healing ultimately in you. But I believe, God, you, part of what you want to use is these people. So, Father, after having spent 21 days surrendering to you, we yet again surrender, saying, God, use us to help others. But for those of us who've been thrown into a tomcat and we are being tossed and turned, may we find some stability in you because of your people. So God, do these things, not just today, not just this week, but this whole entire year, the whole entire decade. May this just become a part of our culture where people are finding wholeness in you and we get to be a part of it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.